This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show. Thanks for hanging over with me, uh, especially after a long, hard day of watching uh, the Super Bowl, where the Pats, of course, won in a, in a magnificent show of uh, Tom Brady's sex appeal. <laughs> it's nothing else. <laughs> No other way to describe it. Um, But anyway, we're going to be talking about personality traits, neuroticism in particular. A lot of people are neurotic. We all have our little traits. Uh, Often I see in my clinical practice people who think that they could have changed somebody. They'd hoped that they could stop them from worrying, stop them from drinking, make them want to have children, um, stop them from being so obsessive about cleaning, uh, want them uh, maybe buy a big gift so that they would have more sex with them. So they wanted to think they hoped they could change their sexual desire. And uh, so a lot of these things just, you know, can't be changed. But there's some research out there that shows that it might be able to be changed. But I wanted to tell you about a patient who came into my practice recently. She's a 37-year-old married mother of three children. She works outside of the home. Her, her kids are all in school, in, in grade school, in elementary school, and she works outside of the home, almost full-time, not quite full-time, as a physical therapist. She's very busy, but sort of thrives on that. And she presented to my office because one of her children is giving her some difficulty, and it's leading to her having trouble concentrating. She's feeling exhausted all the time. Her sleep has been affected. Her heart is racing. Um, the the problem with the child has been that one of the teachers, and he's in grade four, this little guy, and the teacher told her that he wasn't doing his homework. And this shocked her because she was always a straight-A student, always did her homework. She's got three boys. Um, and so she's really was really quite surprised that boys, uh, I'm not saying that all boys don't do homework, but <laughs> if, the, if one's not going to do homework, it's the boy. Uh, but anyway... Uh, So she's very nervous about this because she wants him to succeed and she finds that he's he's a bit um, disorganized and scattered and she has to do everything for him. And she thought by the age of nine, he would maybe try to remember his uh, what's what to put in his backpack. And so she's she's basically, as I told her, she's living for him. She's um, putting the books into his book backpack and she's getting him ready for school. She's waking him up in the morning. Uh, she's doing everything um, for this child and everything is sort of evolving or revolving around this child. Um, so she's, she finds making lunches stressful because the kids don't really like to eat anything that she puts in the lunches. And of course she puts healthy foods in there and they're not eating them. And um, that's upsetting to her. She's worried that the teacher is singling him out, that uh, the teacher's not being fair to him. She's worried that this nine-year-old isn't interacting with the other kids. Um, So she's got lots and lots of worries, and she's also worrying about family finances. Um, She does some volunteer work, and with the fatigue that has been increasing, um, she's she can't do her own job that well as well, and so she's basically depleted. And um, she presented with. Uh, you know, saying she was feeling on edge all the time. She was having ruminations. They are keeping her up at night. They're just basically, she just couldn't turn her mind off. Um, During the day, this woman has chronic busyness syndrome. 
she's just busy, busy, busy with everything. And the kids have sports and they have um, extracurricular activities, activities where they have to be driven to. After school, she doesn't say no to any of them. She wants them all to be successful. She wants them all to be um, top performers. Um, But we have to let kids fail. That's the only way that they actually will pick themselves up. And, um, you know, failure is our greatest teacher. But she doesn't like her children to fail. And she has said that because she feels that um, they will be made fun of or they will, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make her feel good to see her children fail. And she worries that they're going to fall. She said she worries much like when they're toddlers and they're learning to walk, um, you know, they stand up, take a few steps and they fall. And she said even at the ages of six, seven and nine, she's still worried that her kids are going to fall. Um, she's having skin stinging, heart racing, stomach aches, panic attacks, Um, And her husband has noticed this as well. And she also has low sexual desire. Um, So she's tried some cognitive behavioral therapy, which is can be very helpful um, uh, as one treatment for generalized anxiety disorder, which is what she is has been diagnosed with by a psychologist. Um, And so she just wants some a bit more of uh, life advice and and some confidence so as I work through that with her, giving, giving her advice to sort of pull away from the child, allow the child to fail, let him, it's his responsibility at the age of nine to pack his own things in his backpack and, and to do some self-care. And self-care is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. I forget who said that. I'll remember, but I wish I did. But anyway, um, the, so self-care is really important, especially in the world today, where we have so many people who want to prove themselves, who want to let people know how great they are and how amazing they are. And when they're actually not feeling great on the inside, we can call that imposter syndrome. Um, it you know may fall into a category of that where everything looks amazing, everything looks perfect, and it's a house of cards, and it's about ready to fall down. And so this woman did recognize that she had... Uh, this issue. So uh, when I come back, I want to talk about mental health treatment that may actually help to reduce neuroticism. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, your host for this show tonight uh, and every Sunday night. And I'm here with Matt, my fabulous tech op, always does a great supporting roll here. <laughs> Couldn't do it without them. Uh, lots of things you can't do without, guys. Lots of things you can do with them and without whatever. I'm going down a bad path there. <laughs> anyway, I was talking before the break about uh, busyness syndrome, essentially. I, I have a lot of women in my clinical practice who come in, they're perfectionists, they want everything to be perfect, and they want everything to be right, and they want to control everything, and they are just go, 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 going, and they get depleted, and they start to have physical symptoms, they start to ruminate, they start to have unwanted thoughts that enter into their head, they can't stop thinking about something, something that they can't control, or they try to control something, and yet it's out of their control, and it'll affect their sexuality, and their sexual self-esteem, and also their sexual frequency, and so that may begin to improve part uh, negative impact on their relationship. And that often is what brings them into my clinical practice, um, low sexual desire. And, uh, but we, we talk about a lot of other things as well. And I will get into the enigma of sexual desire a little bit later. But um, so we think that 
certain aspects about people, especially their neuroticism, can't change. And you know what I'm talking about, these little things that are personality. Do you think that it's somebody's personality that you cannot change? Well, I was very excited to read a review of 200 and stu- 207 studies that involve more than 20,000 people that challenge the idea that personality traits are established at birth or in childhood and remain static for life. Well, this is not necessarily the case. This analysis showed that people with mental disorders who engage in therapeutic interventions will, on average, become significantly less neurotic and slightly more extroverted after treatment. Those people who are most likely to see these positive changes after therapy are the individuals with the anxiety disorders. I often say anxiety disorders is one of the biggest kept secrets ever. People living with them and you cannot tell that they have this anxiety disorder. They're almost quiet sometimes. Uh, People with an anxiety disorder can tell somebody who has an anxiety disorder. Uh, That's something else. But Personality psychologists consider neuroticism and emotional stability key personality traits, along with conscientiousness, agreeableness, openness, and extroversion. So people who are extroverts. People who have high levels of neuroticism tend to be more anxious, moody, and depressed than those who don't. And they are more likely to have that sort of Debbie Downer attitude toward life or they perceive events as threatening. So you think you can't change this. Now, you know that I'm an introvert pretty much. No, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm an extrovert. But I do have introverted ways, and we do have a mix. We are, we're, we're part introvert, part extrovert, depends on the situation. Um, so this is why this is really important research. I actually know a therapist who has so much neuroticism, that, and, and this therapist is very successful, but cannot fly on planes, um, doesn't can't socialize uh is you know has lots of um issues around that a lot of you know obsessive compulsive hand washing cleaning kind of things and um but in this particular person's work uh it's brilliant so you know anxiety and stress can almost make us perform that much better perhaps that's what happened to Tom today in the big game. Maybe it was a little anxiety that drove him to actually reach the highest level possible, really, in football of any quarterback ever. Um, so it, it, anxiety can be very helpful, but but it also uh, can impact a person's life because they can get depleted um, and it can impact their physical health, their emotional health, their sexual health, their relationship health. Um, and it's very common for individuals to think of personality as that part of them that is distinct and that separates them from somebody else and that it's enduring, that it will last forever. This is the way that I am. This is the way that I'm going to be. In, in, you know, you've, if you know anybody with anxiety, <laughs> you know that you've, you've probably heard that statement out of their mouth before that um, just accept me for who I am or this is just the way I have to do it. I, I must do things this way. They have an order for things at times. They um, get anxious getting in a car, driving with somebody. And so therefore they don't want to drive, but they want to control it. They want to make sure you're you're driving um, on cruise control. <laughs> uh, so they want to control it and then, but recognizing it is is kind of the first step. So this, these studies that uh, were reviewed mainly involved interventions such as cognitive behavioral therapy. And that really begins with understanding, you know, look, taking a look at yourself, who you are. Um, 
knowing that um, what uh, that you need some help, that this may be impacting your life and the lives of those around you, because it certainly can impact somebody else's life on some level, people often think, oh, you know, I know that this is bothersome to my partner. That's what I see in my clinical practice. It's often not just the one person that's affecting, but it's often affecting the lover or the partner or the husband, the wife, and the children, if there are children. Another form is psychotherapeutic counseling or um, pharmacological treatment. So antidepressants, for example, are used for anxiety, and they can be very helpful for anxiety. Unfortunately, they're called antidepressants, so people don't think, oh, I can use those for anxiety, but they're very helpful, especially those, that, there are some that calm people down, they help with sleep, there are others that, that provide a little bit more um, uh energy for people so that they can be more productive during the day because anxiety can be paralyzing. If you have to ensure that your room is cleaned entirely 100% before you go out in the morning or, or that your makeup is absolutely perfect before you leave the house, you can imagine the impact that that would have on, on your life. Um, some people end up having what has in the past been called a nervous breakdown. Um, and, and that's just depletion on steroids. It's just that they, they may just completely and entirely lose it and actually need that. That's why I think the better word is depletion versus depression, because um, they are just completely depleted. They have nothing left and they need rest and sleep and they need to recover and to heal. Uh, the interventions were associated with marked changes in personality trait measures over an average time of 24 weeks. Emotional stability was the primary trait domain showing changes as a result of therapy. That emotional stability is so associated with anxiety, but it's really emotional instability. Often people who lose it or want to control something or are yelling, they have this, it's, it's a direct result of their anxiety. And the patients in this study with anxiety disorders changed the most was what was revealed in this particular study. And those with substance abuse problems changed the least. I imagine because you see a lot of um, the substance abuse issue that is revealed. And unless somebody changes their substance abuse patterns or practice, you're not going to see the changes with the personality. I off, So often, because I, I actually work in addictions and um, mental health as well, and so often people are diagnosed uh, and they are on crack, uh, crystal meth, heroin, alcohol, they're smoking pot, and they're diagnosed with everything from bipolar to schizophrenia, anxiety. And I say you can never diagnose somebody unless they are completely clean and sober. And often when they've come off those substances, there's nothing there they because the substance can actually propel them or perpetuate their anxiety disorder or the behaviors that are associated that you think are the personality of the person when they're not. It's actually the substance abuse that is talking. But that amount of change in emotional stability was dramatic, according to this study that was out of the University of Illinois. Um, and so there was, with so much change, we're, we, we can actually look and, um, you know, realize that personality maybe can be changed. Um, and, and this study, they looked at people well past the end of the, of the therapeutic situation and they held on to the changes, which is really nice. So, you know, therapists need to take a look at this analysis 
and and realize just how important it is and how important it is to treat that anxiety and to recognize that anxiety and to be able to recognize the anxiety disorder and that there is help. And, and sometimes people with anxiety require medication first. A lot of people say, I don't want to go on medication. I don't want to look weak. I don't. It's not a weakness. It is a, uh, filling up your cup, essentially, so that you can absorb the information and be calm and actually lead a healthier life. So um, there's nothing to be ashamed about with um, anxiety disorders. It may affect your personality. It may be, you know not the personality that you can live to the fullest and the best and have the best because this is this life is meant to be enjoyed and with anxiety people tend not to be able to enjoy life or to live in the moment. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. Thanks for being here with me this evening, talking about sex and relationships and health and all those other things as well. And thanks for your emails, sextalk at cknw.com. I'm going to get to a few of those shortly, one in particular right now. I feel it needs immediate attention. Uh, oh, I was going to say don't forget about my little... February Heart Month, Romantic Month, Love is in the Air, Basket Giveaway. Um, Tell me the most memorable time and how old you were (laughs) when you had sex. Your your best sex ever. When was it? Uh, And you can enter to win my little contest, which will be um, some aphrodisiacs to get things going in the bedroom or wherever else you'd like to have sex, as well as um, dinner and some sex toys. Anyway, so email me sextalk at cknw.com. And I said that it's in confidence. I've had a few uh, emails and they've written in confidence. So um, but let me know if it's okay to read it on the air. I'll change the name to protect the innocent or the guilty in this case. But uh, this email just came in. This is perfect timing for the next subject, the enigma of female sexual desire. Uh, Dear Maureen, I can't be the only guy that has had enough of trying to talk, lore, convince, buy his wife or girlfriend into enjoying sex. The attitude many women have toward men is depressing, all painted with the same brush. Although I have to admit, I salute a few friends that continue to play the game. The way I see it, women do not enjoy intercourse, and men do, period. Tired of always being the one to set the table, create the mood, set the ambiance, and so on and so on all for the basics of intimacy and sex. I've been in two long-term relationships and more, and it has gotten old for me now at 45 years of age and could care less anymore. I'll go buy it when I feel the itch, like a thousand other guys, boyfriends, husbands. Guys and gals have completely different agendas that come with equally different desired outcomes. So big deal, another handsome guy. (laughs) off the hunt. Oh, that is depressing, I have to say. Don't give up. Because understanding sexual desire is what is important. You know, I had a uh, patient married for the second time. And he said, what happens both times that I've been married, right after I got married, the sex stopped. 
Like, that was my mistake in getting married. Was in getting married. And why does that happen? And, you know, I mean, there's no answer. You cannot tar everybody with the same brush. I I did a TED Talk, and I have to say there have been one and a half million views as of today um, on that TED Talk. But the comments on it are are what is really enlightening and how common this is. And I think it's a little bit, it, it has... It has so much to do with so many different things, the station somebody is at in life. So if somebody wants to have a baby and their biological clock is ticking, that will certainly um, will make somebody want to get married more. Um, there's people marrying the wrong person, people not marrying the person that they wanted to because their family didn't approve, people marrying somebody because they came from the right family or they were smarter than they were. Or, um, and so that's a good thing. And uh, But there are a number of reasons. And, you know, really the question is what do women want? And this has stymied many uh, psychologists before, uh, for for years, um, Freud tried to figure this out, and it's it's a it's a very common subject. It's not something that people talked about until recently. In fact, sexual health research hasn't been done, especially in women, hasn't been done um, for that long, and it hasn't been um, it hasn't been that long of a time. And we really haven't done so much on women, but we have still come a long way. Uh, pun intended, and, uh, you know, there's this idea that women don't like sex, and that's not necessarily correct. Every woman wants something different, and sex is different for every woman. And there is a female sexual response cycle. I'm convinced that people are not, women are not taught uh, about their bodies. They're not taught about self-exploration. They forget the pleasure uh, associated with having sex and experiencing an orgasm. Uh, unfortunately, female desire cannot be summarized in terms of a single experience. The other thing is know thyself. Is there something about you that is driving your wife crazy that she is thinking, I don't want to have sex with you because you, whatever, you've gained weight you're drinking too much, you're mean to me, you're screaming at the children, is there something that will affect her sexual desire? We, we're coming to realize, in, in all honesty, male and female sexual desire is not as dissimilar as we've always assumed. We, we often think that uh, men have higher desire in women, than women do. Uh, and Many studies confirm that finding, but we have more recent evidence that reveals that the difference between the sexes may actually be more nuanced or not not existent, depending on how you define and try to measure sexual desire. So when you ask men uh, how much uh, sexual desire have you experienced, because theirs is a little bit more linear. They have the desire first, and then the arousal and excitement and the orgasm. Uh, You know, typically men rate higher on that question than women do. 
But if you ask, if you revise that question, so if you ask both, you know, women are going to say over the last month, you know, how often have you felt sexual desire? They'll, they might say once or twice. If you say it to men, they might say 60 times. Uh, so if you reframe that question and ask it in an in the moment kind of feeling, when did you have sexual desire for a moment? Uh, the amount of desire experienced in the midst of that sexual interaction, scientists find no difference between men and women. And that's why, honestly, I, I hate to say this, but just do it is actually valid advice. And so many women will just do it. Once they just do it, they realize, why didn't I do that before? But then they seem to forget. So this research, this looking at Ha- women having desire in the moment, responsive desire is what it's called, challenges our gender-related stereotypes about women be- that women are not sexual when, well, when women are, in fact, sexual. Women are not allowed to be sexual either because women are slut-shamed. And there was something on Facebook today. I'm ashamed to say that I was on Facebook today. <laughs> and there was somebody who wanted to... Um, who was talking about Chelsea Handler and something that she'd said about Melania Trump. And somebody said, who's Chelsea Handler? And, and someone else responded and said, she's a porn star. And I, normally I don't engage in this kind of thing, but I just feel like I had to stick up for this person, this Chelsea Handler, this comedian. It's hilarious. And I said, she's a comedian. And someone said, you know, they were shaming her for having a sex tape from 15 years ago that she claimed was uh, a private sex tape that was leaked. It's the only one that's ever been out there. And and so she was trying to say she cannot, you know, she can make fun of Donald Trump, but the wife is off limits. And I said, you know, in this case, it's relevant. He is, you know, banning, he's putting a travel ban on all immigrants. And, and this Chelsea Handler had made fun of Melania's accent, said she speaks with accent. She's an obvious immigrant. And so it was basically relevant in that time period. And, and then I said, so what if she was a porn star? Who cares? All women should be porn stars in their own intimate relationships. There is nothing wrong with that. But we can take a woman down by shaming her and saying she was a porn star. So I, I really feel that women are not taught how to be sexual. Women are not taught to pleasure themselves. I have another patient who's 24 years old. She's never experienced an orgasm. Supposedly, she had never uh, self-explored prior to the age of 16. She's married the guy she first had sex with. Big mistake. Um, A lot of women will then later want to explore to find out if they're sexually normal. They will go outside of the relationship. We sexuality in women or sexual desire waxes and wanes. It waxes and wanes with with a woman's menstrual cycle. And that is tied to uh, reproductive health, of course, or reproductive desire. uh, And it's a biological and physiological um, function. Women don't have lower sexuality than men. Women have more variable patterns and it's tapping into those variable patterns. And this makes sense when we think in terms of sex ultimate purpose, which is making babies. So biology helps to drive reproduction. It's an element of sex. Only now in in these modern times do we actually separate reproduction from sex. They're they're uncoupled. Uh, So it's um, also testosterone. Plays a, doesn't play a role, but people think that it plays a role. And it's, it does a lot for men's sexual desire and erectile function, but it does very little for women's 
uh, female sexual desire. Uh, it doesn't play a major role. And there's no difference in testosterone levels in women who have high levels of sexual desire and those diagnosed with a sexual desire disorder. And so yet still women go into their doctors and they ask for testosterone. And there may be a placebo effect for women, but that's not how it's going to happen. I had somebody email me today. She said they wanted, she's been in a relationship for three years. She wanted to buy a uh, uh, two toys, a womanizer and a couple's vibe. And uh, so, you know, she wanted to keep the excitement going. She wanted to, you know, she realized after three years that, you know, she needed to keep this up. And, you know, there's the womanizer is fantastic. The couple's vibe is also another great device that stimulates everybody in the in the bed. Um, it, but it's inserted into the woman's vagina and it stimulates a man's penis. But we have to, you know, there's a big paradigm shift in female sexuality and female sexual desire. Uh, for men, desire precedes arousal, but for women, desire comes uh, desire comes after arousal. So. Um, we, it's just also that unresolved conflict that um, it's got to be the right time. The, the balance of work that's done in the home has to be shared. There has to be help that's, that's been given. Um, you know, there, you have to really look at yourself. And, and some women, you know, turn-ons for women vary, just like their sexual desire. Some prefer G-spot stimulation. Others aren't vulnerable enough, don't feel comfortable enough with their bodies with themselves to actually have G-spot stimulation. Many women require clitoral stimulation. Uh, there's porn, Is there's diversity that's now reflected in porn. Um, so some women require um, porn to as a turn-on. We need to educate women and give them permission to experience what they find pleasurable. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here talking sex with you. We're talking sexual desire. And I, I want to read an email to continue on that conversation about low sexual desire in women and the frustration that many men feel in my most recent emailer um, described in, an e- in a message to me that he's sick and tired. He's been in a few long-term relationships, 45 years of age, another hot, handsome one off the market. Um, he, he will find sex elsewhere. He'll pay for it if he has to. Uh, so I have this email from uh, a woman. She says, Dear Maureen, you know what's really hurting me? I'm a 31-year-old single mother, and I've not had sex for years and years. This doesn't mean that I want it less. I actually want it more than most women, and I want it a lot. I think about it every day, morning, noon, and night. There are never opportunities in my life for me to just have sex. It hurts so much, I can't tell anyone just how much. Being a single mother means I do absolutely everything every day. And at night, I sit down in my lounge when my kid is asleep, and all I want is for someone to cuddle me and want to touch me and show me that I am a woman. I want all of those things that married people already have access to if they wanted to access it. I just can't leave my house whenever I want to to go after intimacy and sex and companionship or love. As for someone telling me to masturbate, well, just like how you can have a sexless marriage, you can easily not want to do anything for yourself anymore too because I am sick of myself. I'm sick of always wanting 
I, I'm sick of always having to do everything and shoulder everything. When it comes to sex, that's the one thing that I would love to share with another human being. So I wish someone would make it known, just like in this talk, how having a sexless life as a single parent is so damaging to us because we are actually yearning and wanting and eager, and most importantly, our hearts are calling out, but no one is around to hear it. Um, you know, a lot of people believe falsely in, in, on many occasions that married people can have sex whenever they want, and that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I said earlier that testosterone doesn't really relate to women's sexual desire. However, if somebody else wants your man or you want to have a baby, those two things may elevate testosterone levels in women and may increase sexual desire. But uh, there are men and women living a lonely life, not having a sexual life, uh, and it can really be, um, you know, heartbreaking for a lot of people. And But that's... That's uh, what is counterintuitive. A lot of people think married people are having sex. Well, I see so many patients in my clinical practice that are not having sex. And uh, in fact, what, there was a time when, you know, out of like 5,000 patients, one person was. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, oh, I'll, I'll give it up if I have to. I'm like, no, you can't say that. Uh, moving on to another reason um, for low sexual desire. And there are a number of reasons for women. Uh, a long-term relationship, you know, women report boredom in the bedroom. And, you know, so you've got to, I know I say it a lot, shake it up, take it outside of the bedroom, go on the deck, uh, head out to the deck, take a look at the view, change it up a little bit. Uh, maybe bringing somebody else into your relationship uh, will help you. Maybe that's something that you want or that, that she wants. Um, maybe just having a sex partner. Many people have sex partners on the side for long periods of time. Um, but if that's not going to work for you, well, uh, just keep plugging away, keep trying. There's, um, but understanding and educating and not slut-shaming women and allowing women to be sexual, to be sexual beings and, uh, and to appreciate that. But women need to take responsibility as well, Self, self-exploration, understanding what feels good for you uh, and communicating and being confident and vulnerable is all, and taking time for sex. It's as important as paying the bills. Well, mm-mm. anyway, they're both really important. But, but sex doesn't get, it gets put on the back burner. Uh, but it's just as important as those other meaningless things that you're doing throughout the day that are preventing you and causing you to be so tired of not having sex at night. But anyway, have it in the morning. Um, but there are five causes for a swollen vagina after intercourse. Say you have intercourse and your vagina gets uh, swollen. Well, one of the reasons might be rough, rough sex is one of the most common causes for swelling in the vaginal area because of the friction. And this can lead to swelling. And so in the heat of the moment, you may not even realize that you're being a little too rough. Wouldn't that be nice, uh, sir, gentlemen out there um, that are living with women with low sexual desire. But generally, this disappears in a few hours. It may take a day. Um, but if you have to see your doctor to rule out an infection, if it lasts longer than that, then you should. So arousal may also cause uh, women's vagina to be swollen. It's a perfectly normal to have swelling in the vaginal area. When you are aroused, when you're in the mood, the vaginal area gets wet and it swells. But sometimes that swelling can last after sex, especially if you are a bit rough. Uh, vaginal infection or sexually transmitted infection is also another reason that your vagina may swell. Uh, so yeast infection, very common. Sugar, stress, tight clothing, all can contribute to it. It can cause swelling, uh, maybe some discharge, itching. 
Uh, so get that checked out. You can take Diflucan for a yeast infection. You have to buy it over the counter. It costs about 25 or $30, but it works like a hot dam. You might have to take it once or twice or even up to three times. Also, some a woman may have a Bartholin cyst on each side of the vagina. There are Bartholin's glands, and these are the glands that secrete the fluid to lubricate the vagina during sex. And when the openings of these glands are obstructed, fluid can back up into the gland, and that may cause a little swelling. Um, an infection could be a risk here, so it could create an abscess, so be careful with that. And also, you can be allergic to sperm, uh, to semen. <laughs> And your vagina may become swollen after that. So very few women are, but some women are allergic to semen and that causes the swelling. But when it happens, it can be very distressing. I really don't like to leave you on such a negative uh, uh, story uh, um, at the end of the show. So I thought I'd share something with you from nursing school, a story that I was reminded of this week that uh, when I first was putting learning, I I actually didn't want to be a nurse and, and I was kind of creeped out by a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I was like 19 years old and I had to put a catheter in about a 50 year old man. And so I just didn't want to do it. And I was just freaking out. And I, I didn't, I was so nervous. I was a complete wreck. And my nursing school friend told me she'd help me with it. And so the two of us went in there together and I was still so nervous and she was getting it all ready and the sterile technique and opening everything up. And, and I said, uh, and I was just trying to calm, remain calm and keep him calm. And, and I said, um, and she was giving instructions. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I said to him, sit back. Now keep in mind, we're putting a catheter in this guy. He's about 50 years old. Sit back. Relax. You might even enjoy it. Anyway, we all have those bad moments in our in our lives, and we have good moments as well. So you got to appreciate the good with the bad. I want to mention the birth fair, and the birth fair 2017 is coming up on Saturday and February 25th, 9 to 5, and Sunday, February 26th, 10 to 4. I'm going to be speaking there about all of these issues um, related to Love and sex and relationships and postpartum depression. Uh, also, there's many great speakers that are going to be out there. It's at the Cloverdale Agriplex. Uh, tickets are $5, so you can't beat that. This is for anybody considering starting or expanding their family, is trying to conceive, is pregnant, has a young baby, is becoming a grandparent, a friend, loved one. You want to be there. I'm also speaking at the 4th International Autonomic Symposium. It's called Interfacing Man and Machine Neuroprosthetics for Managing Autonomic Function After Spinal Cord Injury. That's on Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017. Uh, this fo- will focus on the poorly understood and recently ignored topic of autonomic dysfunctions that affect individuals with spinal cord injury and other neurological disorders. We'll examine the latest technological advances in the management of autonomic dysfunction in individuals with spinal cord injury. Autonomic disturbances are life-threatening fluctuations in blood pressure. That's the um, the most common debilitating complication in individuals with spinal cord injury. But also autonomic function affects your heart, your bladder, your bowel, respiratory, and sexual disorders. These are all autonomic in nature. So I hope you'll join me there. We welcome the community, people with spinal cord injury, researchers, students. I am also involved in a research study around bowel care with, um, okay, uh, bowel care. And uh, email me, sextalk at cknw.com. If you have any questions, anyway, remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is Newstalk 980 CKNW.